Hi, everybody. Right. So maybe we should uh, maybe we should each talk a little bit more about who we are and uh, how we came to be, so to speak. Uh, I'm Danny Fingeroth. I was a writer and editor at Marvel Comics for many years. I worked on Spider-Man. It's probably the best known. Uh, Dark Hawk, Dazzler. Uh, deadly Foes, anything with a D they apparently <laughs> put me on. Um, in recent years I teach comics, I write about comics, so I wanted my books, Disguise as Clark Kent, Jews, Comics, and the Creation of the Superhero, it was on sale back there and there should be somebody there would be happy to take your, yes, a mere $30 and it's yours worth at least $30.05. And um, so that's me, and I travel with the Wizard World uh, convention chain doing events like this all, all over the country. And um, I didn't have it set up, but my, my oddball Jewish project is I've written and am trying to find a publisher for a graphic novel in the life of Jack Ruby, the guy who killed Lee Harvey Oswald and changed the world as we know it. An artist named Rick Geary, who you may know from National Lampoon and other um, high-profile uh, projects is drawing that with me, so if that sounds like something intriguing and interesting, come talk to me afterwards. And starting at the end, who are you, sir? I'm Gorf, Jordan B. Gorfinkel. Gorf is frog backwards. Gorf, frog, frog, Gorf, so now you won't forget me. I want to see everybody back there. Hello, everybody back there. Nice to, nice to see you. Thank you so much for coming to the inaugural Jewish Comic Con. This has been a dream of Fabrice Sapolsky's for a very long time. I want to give him a shout out because without his, uh, his dreaming, this would not be. We should give him a Shekhyanu. Yeah, we should give him a Shekhyanu. Amen. Drink up. I am the former editor of Batman Comics. During the 1990s, I oversaw growing the franchise from two books a month to two books a week, including the Batman-Spider-Man crossover with Danny Fingeroff oh down God. there. Holy cow. And uh, my uh, claims to fame are Batman No Man's Land, which crossed over all of the Bat titles for one consecutive calendar year and was the basis for The Dark Knight Rises, Birds of Prey, the longest running superhero franchise starring women, and soon to be a new feature film, thank you very much. And on the Jewish side, I do jewishcartoon.com, and I don't want to take up too much time with me, so come visit me at the table upstairs, go to jewishcartoon.com or gorfy, g-o-r-f-y.com, you can learn more about me. Next. Rabbi. Hi everybody, I'm Rabbi Kerry Friedman. Um, I am a, uh, well in my, in my current incarnation, I'm a police trainer, I'm associate director of the Center for Tactical Resilience and Ethical Policing, I'm a consultant to the FBI. Um, what I do uh, with all that stuff, why it's relevant to you, is that I find unusual uh, ways in which to share Torah values. Uh, I distill them into universal kinds of uh, concepts that are uh, good for everyone to uh, know, Jews, non-Jews, everybody. Um, and I have been involved in various kinds of outreach over the years. Uh, in the course of that uh, outreach, so that led me to produce this book, Wisdom from the Bat Cave, which is, uh, <laughs> thank you, which is a presentation of a number of uh, values that are Batman values, and I I think are Torah values, so uh, it allows me to teach some Torah ideas in places that might not otherwise have access to those ideas. Shally Fish. Hi, I'm Shally. So, let's see, I'm so glad I didn't have to follow Jordan. Um, <laughs> so I, by day, I make educational TV shows and games and all kinds of stuff for kids. Late at night when my family's asleep, I write comic books. Um, various, uh, started at Marvel, do stuff for DC, including a whole lot of Batman stuff. Uh, Batman Brave and the Bold. Uh, I did a Commissioner Gordon Two-Face story for Batman Chronicles, edited by Jordan B. Gorfinkel. Uh, did a couple issues of Catwoman, all sorts of things Batman-like. Thank you, and Ari Kaplan. I am, I am Ari Kaplan. Um, I am a comic book writer and award-winning author and a uh, screenwriter for television, video games, and transmedia. Uh, I've written for TV shows like True TV Presents World's Dumbest and Broke Bites on FYI Network and uh, PBS Kids series Cyber Chase and Kids Next Door on, on Cartoon Network. And um, written a lot of different comic book stories and they've featured everyone from Speed Racer to Superman to Bart Simpson, written for DC and Dark Horse and uh, Bongo Comics and IDW and many other places. And um, 
One of the main reasons I'm here is because uh, I'm adorable. And another reason, <laughs> feel free to disagree, it's a free country. And another reason is because I wrote a book called From Crack Out of Krypton, Jews and Comic Books, and I go all over the world spreading, spreading my message of love and Bruce Banner-like, you know, <laughs> living right. like, a, like a fugitive. No, you know, he goes from city to city oh. on the, the it's TV not, show, the Kenneth it's, Johnson. It's not, it's not because you were always angry? It's, right. I am always angry. <laughs> Ari, did you injure your finger in a supervillain battle? I, I was, I was bitten by this spider. It's very straight. You're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> My life hasn't been the same since, but that's a secret. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, may I? Uh, Absolutely. As, as Ari would say, not only is he adorable, but we're all adorable, and we're good looking, and we're smart. However, I have a feeling you came here for Batman. I'm just guessing, because I've, because I've. Because I have found, again, in my, in my travels and my many, many panels, I find if you put the word Batman in the title of a panel, I've done panels back to back with the exact same people, and the word Batman was in one panel title and not in the other, and I had four times as many people. So there's something about Batman that results in an SRO uh, panel here. And since we're at the Jewish Comic Con, I mean, Batman was created by two Jewish Bronx boys, Bob Kane, uh, Bill Finger, and then with help from Jerry Robinson, who was a New Jersey Bronx boy, but we, you know, ca count him in. So, I, 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 something about that character, what, what, why is the room filled with Bat, you know, filled with Batman, and started filling before, and what's Jewish about it? Anybody want to tackle that? Sure, I'll be happy to start. Danny O'Neill, thank you. Danny O'Neill, the master, our sensei of Batman, who himself is a Catholic boy, always said that the secret success to Batman is that he is endlessly adaptable. There is a Batman for every era. And even though, and sometimes they coincide. For example, uh, in the 2000 decade, 2000, 2010, you had the Christopher Nolan movies coinciding with a Batman Brave and the Bold interpretation of the character. One was Batman's, Batman as a Boy Scout Big Brother, and the other one is Batman as the Brooding Dark Knight, and they both work. So he is endlessly relatable as a result of that, and therefore, uh, it, tremendously popular. And Shali, actually, you're nodding. I'm going to let you take over. And, and part of that, and I always do this, is this. I can't draw. <laughs> what? And yet, what? Yeah. you know who this what? is. What? Did, did Jack Kirby draw that? Yes, Jack Kirby. <laughs> Steve Bissett, Jack really. Jack Kirby had to be dead in 20 years. <laughs> so that's, I, think, I think somewhere is part of it. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, um, and, and yes, Batman is one of the only characters I can draw, too. Uh, <laughs> but you'll notice that people don't hire me as an artist. Um, no, so, look, Bruce Wayne is about as non-Jewish as you can possibly get, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's, he's a rich wasp, and he's got a butler, and I mean, yeah. But if you look at the values that he embodies, depending on who he writes, and as long as he's not being written as a psychopath, um, you know, here's a guy who has experienced tragedy and has dedicated his life to making sure other people don't, right? You know, and so all of those core values of trying to better yourself and through that better the world, you know, because again, this is not a guy who was born with superpowers. This is a guy who had to work really, really, really hard, right? Had to study for years, had to work out for years, all of that stuff. What does that sound like? You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of really core Jewish values that are inherent in all of this. Um, you know, and, and occasionally, very occasionally, I've had the opportunity to make it more explicit. But we can talk about that later. But well, I love the story in which you established that really Thomas and Martha right. Wayne wanted their son to be a doctor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there are a number of values that. We could, we could try to explain why they're uniquely Jewish values because uh, we were talking earlier and a lot of different religious systems could lay claim to these values and to some degree or other they're right. Um, it, it's probably beyond the scope of this panel to explain why they're really, 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 really uniquely, completely Jewish values. But uh, just in a general sense, I think there are three that really define the characters, uh, that define the character. One is the notion of the infinite potential 
so to speak, of uh, the human being. Um, the Torah celebrates the greatness of a human being. And the Batman stories, I mean, the guy can do everything. He just, you know, you work, if you do enough push-ups, if you study chemistry, if you just keep going back to the well, the more he works, the more he can accomplish. And uh, that kind of a very cheery disposition, that way of looking at a human being, I think is a very Jewish value. Um, there are chazals, all kinds of statements in the Gemara, in the Talmud, in the Jewish literature, about the, uh, the infinite, right? The Tzalem Elohim, the image of God in which every human being is created, uh, there's no end. I mean, I could, I could quote, you know, uh, from the Talmud that describe the greatness of the human being that are just amazing. When do you ever see that played out in, in, uh, the, you know, in popular culture? The Batman shows that. Um, the comment that you made about uh, responding to adversity, boy, we are the experts at that. My mother's a Holocaust survivor. She should live and be well. Uh, she and people like her, they staggered to this country, recreated lives. They used adversity as a springboard uh, to be accomplish greatness. Greatness. They didn't succumb. They didn't give up. Um, and that ability to look, and we've been doing that as Jews, we're the experts of that. We've been doing it for 3,300 years, 3,700 years actually, from Avraham and Sarah. Um, and we just, the more the world throws at us, what we do is we turn it into extraordinary accomplishment. Uh, and then everybody, everybody benefits from that. And then I think the third value, which is uniquely Jewish and which is really the... Uh, which is the hallmark of Batman, is that incredible need that we have. Every human soul needs to live for something larger than uh, our personal pleasure. To sit around and eat ice cream sandwiches and hang out by the pool and just everything's ease and comfort. Um, what we want, what we desperately need, is to live for something that's larger, like some message, some meaning, some value, which is higher than ourselves and our own personal comfort. And the Batman, those three values, there are many others, but those are the three core. They converge in Bruce Wayne and Batman. Okay. Now, you guys talked a lot about um, you know some of the Jewish values that that Batman can can be made to symbolize, but um, the creators of Batman, Bob Kane and Bill Finger, were both Jewish. Uh, do you think that that informed or influenced their creation of Batman in any way? I guess Jordan will go first because you've you know as as the editor of Batman. For right, I can tell you that uh, I did a panel at um, the L.A. Comic Con a year ago, and Denny O'Neill was my guest. And we asked him a similar question, and he knew all of those guys who were the creators. And he said that he never really heard them talking about their Judaism at all. Mm -hmm. And I have to believe that in their core, they were responding to something from their own background, sure. but it wasn't overt. And that's about all I know. Yeah. Okay. I mean, by analogy, so there was this documentary that I watched not long ago about Jewish comedians, which I forget what it's called, but it's a pretty good documentary. And, but the thing that was really interesting about it was that there was this generational thing going on. And when they were talking to like Mort Saul and all these old Jewish comedians, all of them said, oh, I don't consider myself a Jewish comedian. I'm, you know, I happen to be Jewish and I'm a comedian and that's that. And you talk to the generation who were like 40 years younger than that, and they all said, well, yeah, of course I'm a Jewish comedian. And, and, and I think, I think it's, a, it's a reflection of the generational thing in society. You know, in that era, back in 1939, Jews were not trying to stand out. They were trying to blend in and assimilate and be like everybody else. So I don't think that they were, you know, explicitly trying to imbue Batman or Superman or Captain America or any of the other guys who were created by Jews with explicitly Jewish values, but this is what they came from, and this is who they were, and it was their culture, and it was part of what they knew, and so I think that stuff bled through in various ways, but not because they were trying. Well, I mean, I think... Can you give us an example? So, well, with Batman specifically? I mean, it's the stuff we've been talking about. You know, it's, it's those values. It's, it's taking the tragedy and turning it into something, you know, positive and improving the world. It's all of that stuff. But, but I don't think they set out. Well, I, I think the other... Other things, I mean, if, say, if you were here earlier, we talked about Superman as, you know, sort of a metaphor for uh, the, the immigrant experience and the Jewish immigrant experience and, and compared to uh, the Moses uh, being uh, sent down uh, the river. Um, Batman seems, you can, I think, can be seen... Um, Right, World War II is either has started or is about to start in uh, in Europe. Kristallnacht fits somewhere in there, I think, in in like in the subconscious, you know, as specific as things that might elicit a, a, a specific response in Jewish creators. And and I think the other side of the immigrant experience 
you know, Superman, it's all bright and sunny, he lands in Smallville, and, you know, he's adopted by the, by the Kents. Batman is all, is, is kind of like the noir Warner Brothers movies. It's the terror of the city. It's the, it's the city as enemy, as, as urban jungle. And I mean, I, again, I think that's, I think it's, it's a general immigrant experience, a generational thing. But I think there's something about the rumblings in world, you know, in Europe. Rumblings. Uh, the rumblings out here. Right? Well, hopefully not, hopefully not the same rumblings, you know. But, uh, you know. <laughs> I had to pay them five dollars for that. The the, the rumblings of uh, of what was happening in Europe that that you know I, somehow I could see Batman as a dark response as opposed to the Superman. Ta-da! I'm here. You know. Well, we did a story like that. <clears throat> Paul Pope did a story in Batman Chronicles uh, in which uh, he portrayed Bruce Wayne as this bon vivant fop in Weimar uh, Germany. And that was his cover for uh, being the superhero Batman that was trying to obviously combat the rise of Hitler and so forth. And there's no more stark example of trying to put the Jewish face on the character than probably that. And a funny anecdote behind that, um, Paul Pope is one of the most amazing creators that you will ever work with and whose artwork you will ever see. He's a force of nature. and. When we, I was working on the story with him, I was terrified by just how powerful the story was and how on the nose, you'll forgive that turn of phrase given the present company, uh, this, story, uh, this story was turning out to be and I hid it. Uh, and I, I got it into print before I ever showed it to Paul Levitz who was the president of DC Comics at the time. Uh, and I was afraid that he would kill the story and I really wanted to see it published and I was terrified of what he would think. And sure enough, when the story made it into print and he looked at his pile of comics, he came down to me in the office and he was hopping mad. He was furious. And he said, what right do you have to not show me the story ahead of publishing? Had I known about it, I would have publicized it. <laughs> True story. And then, and then there's also the Elseworlds story, Batman Holy Terror, yeah. right. which it does have a Jewish character, and it's sort of like a minor like, little side note, but, you know, the character of Dr. Ertl, who's the character that in the regular DC universe discovers uh, Martian Manhunter when he first comes to Earth. But here, he is someone, the idea is that there's no separation between church and state, and the, the church has taken over uh, America, isn't it? The, 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 uh, the Elseworlds story? Okay. It's basically the alternate Earth where uh, the... the Catholic Church has completely taken over, um, so the Catholic Church or the Christian Church has completely taken over every facet of American life and Jews are, are uh, discriminated against and, uh, and they're, they're hunted down and so one of the ways that one of them makes, uh, makes a deal in which he can actually live openly is that he's Dr. Ertl and he uh, experiments on the various uh, superheroes who've, who've he's encountered. He experiments on the Flash, he experiments on Superman, tries to discuss and tortures them. And it's brought out, Bruce Wayne discovers all this, because as Batman he's trying to fight against this, uh, this, this sort of fascist version of America. And he, he's like, but you're Jewish, your name is Ertl, you're, why are you doing all this? And you know, he sees, he sees it as the ends justify the means, so it's... Um, so, okay, so now, now I'll talk about the most explicitly Jewish comic book story I ever wrote. So, when I was doing Batman Brave and Bull, um, you know, knowing that the December issue was coming up, I've, you know, I've written some Christmas stories in my time, because why not, but I decided I want to do a Hanukkah story. And it was also, and so, you know, I thought, okay, see, I need to team him up with a Jewish hero, and so I picked Ragman, because why not. And, um, and it was also around the time that the whole Occupy movement was going on. So all this stuff about you know, poverty and all that was out in the public guy and all of that. And so I said, all right, so this is good. So what I'll do, I'll do a story, because here's Ragman who works in the like, poorest, worst slums of the city. And Ragman is feeling really beaten down because no matter what he does, everybody, you know, life around him is miserable. And he can't change that. And so he's kind of lost, lost his way a little bit. And this local rabbi basically brings him around with the story of Hanukkah because what he does is he essentially tells him the story of Hanukkah, you know, 
the temple, the menorah, one jar of oil, last eight days, you know, all that. And, you know, and Ragman, and he says it's, you know, miracles, just like all these people around here who are helping out because bad guys are trying to destroy the shul because they want to take over the neighborhood and whatever. And he said, just like you. And he said, and Ragman says, well, you know, me? No, you're thinking, of, you're thinking about real superheroes like Superman, you know, and, and the rabbi says, no, you're missing the point of the Hanukkah story because God could have made that oil burn forever. God could have helped them find a hundred jars of oil, but he gave them just enough. And why? To teach us that nobody gets everything they want, but God gives us what we need. And Ragman comes around and he actually goes back to his shop and lights his menorah and well, everything is good. And Batman can accommodate that kind of story. He can accommodate the kinds of stories that these guys have been talking about. And at the same time, he can be Dark Knight, and he can be Adam West, and he can be whatever. Because he's just infinitely flexible in that way. Who created Ragman? Anybody know? Uh, Joe Kubert and Bob Kanegar, Kanegar I think. Fascinating. But originally, Ragman was Rory Reagan. I mean, he was, he was Irish, you know. But uh, I think Keith Giffen changed him to a Jew. So. Well, it's, it's weird. I, I, I interviewed Joe Kubert for, from Crack Out of Krypton, and he told me that he always had it in mind that he oh, was really? supposed to be Jewish. Yeah, which I found... I found Rory Reagan? <laughs> it could be. It was Schmatt Well, Regan, Regan could be, uh, you know, a shortened yeah, version. Ryanovich, right, exactly. Yeah. Very possible. Yeah. You know, Jack Kirby. Kirby is often an Irish name, but he's really Kurtzberg. That's true. You know. Okay, um, Jordan, as group editor of Batman, did that? You're the custodian of the character for a number of years. Um, and did what did this responsibility mean to you? Did it ever weigh heavily on you in any way? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Next question. And with great responsibility, did it come great power? Right. That's right. Right. Thankfully, I worked on one Spider-Man comic, so I'm able to quote that line. Right. You can quote it anyway. Right. Right. The line we often quoted was um, anybody that would come in that we would worry about. We would, let's say, uh, Rob Carey walked into the room. We'd say Rob Carey is a, a cowardly and superstitious lot. It was a great line. Which is true, by the way. <laughs> People, but they somehow have read me <laughs> the, Criminals are a, a, a cowardly and superstitious lot is one of the famous lines in the Batman origin story, and that was endlessly quotable. So, Hamevin Yavin, those who understand, understand. What was the question again? It's just what the responsibility. Oh, the responsibility for Batman. Uh, yes, as Denny, I'll quote Denny a lot, but Denny always says our job is to make the funny books. And in the end, it's a business, and a business has to earn profit, and we're doing popular entertainment. But as we touched on in uh, the first panel this morning, uh, I felt very profoundly that we needed to have some foundation of morality or ethics to the stories. It's built into Batman's DNA that he doesn't use a gun, that he doesn't murder, because that would be repeating the sins that created the situation that he himself is in. And Batman is dedicated to making sure that nobody else suffers the same pain that he felt when he lost his parents. So why in the world would he pick up a gun? That's what did him in. So instead he perfects himself and he uses martial arts and science and detective work and so so forth, and uh, we, I definitely felt not the pressure, but the responsibility, the deep responsibility, to be the custodian of this character, to keep all of the traditions alive, but at the same time, of course, evolve the character. Now, I worked on Batman in the 1990s, and that is, I, I would say, you guys can can chime in also, a much maligned period. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, being, it's being rediscovered. It's being rediscovered, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like they're, they're rediscovering that can make money selling. <laughs> Collect, collecting and selling the comics exactly. in the 1990s. It's a business. That's exactly <laughs> right. Right. Us and that Janet Jackson song. You know, we're being rediscovered at the same time. It's a little political reference for you folks out there. Or was that in the 80s? I don't know. Anyway, I'll stick to comics. So the uh, so the challenge was how do you keep the tradition at a time of great upheaval in the comic book industry? Because in the early 90s we had these outsized sales. I mean, I started on Nightfall and I went through Night's End and Cataclysm and everything in between and ended, or I should say retired amicably after No Man's Land. In the beginning, we were using uh, statin repeats and photostatting and chemical-based publishing, and at the end, we were fully digital. 
and you can see the progression of comics on a technical side, because comics is art after all, throughout that decade, and we were reinventing the medium as we were going along. So on the one hand, yes, I felt the weight and the responsibility. On the other hand, every day was, we got to get the books out and we got to make them as great as we can. We've got to find new ways of reinventing this medium while still telling a great story. So I hope that answers the question. I uh, sent in the uh, manuscript. The book came from a number of classes I used to take when I was in the outreach work. Yeah, this is shameless. They're available in the back for sale. <laughs> I have a couple hundred thousand copies in my, uh, in my garage. So, uh, yeah. Anti-Semites. Bunch of anti-Semites. Okay. Okay. So uh, anyway, so I was giving a bunch of lectures. I was rabbi at Duke University, and I was in order to get the kids interested, I would use the Batman as a springboard, etc. So I put this together and I sent it in to DC Comics. I, I mailed it in. We had just moved to New Jersey, um, and I, I mailed it in. And the next day, uh, the next day, I sent it overnight. The next day, Denny O'Neill called me up which I thought it was my friend John Mishkin who was pretending to be him calling me. So we had a very, very unpleasant few minutes of the original part of the conversation. I was like, I was like, John, cut it out, you stupid head. Right? And he was like, this is Dennis O'Neill calling. And I could just by the time I finally realized. So uh, yeah, it was one of the Actually, low. Forgive me, it would have sounded like this. This is Denny O'Neill. Okay. <laughs> That's how it sounded. So uh, being superstitious and cowardly. Uh, so anyway, so he said to me, I said, how is this possible? So he said, well, the thing came in today's mail, and I get this huge bunch of stuff, and I slid all the envelopes, all the stuff, and I throw out all the garbage, and I just have this pile left. He said, when I saw there was a, a rabbi, an author about Batman, he said, I started reading it right away. And he said, I just couldn't stop. And he said, I'm an Irish Catholic. He said, and yet what you were saying, he said, I wouldn't have maybe quoted a story about Rabbi Zusha. And he said, I maybe, he says, you know, maybe the elder Hillel is not exactly the proof text I would have brought. He said, but what you said was everything that I tried to share in the world, in my professional career. He said, I went into comics. He said, and I had an agenda. And he said, in fact, everybody who goes into entertainment and they go to pop culture and they're creating all this stuff, whatever they're writing, create, he said they have an agenda. And he said, my agenda, and I, he said, I thought about this early on in my life and my career, I wanted to target the youth. I wanted to get to them and I wanted to share my values. And the values that he had were, were these. Uh, and I got a, you know, I thought that was very interesting. And when I sent the book around, it's a, the book has in the front a bunch of blurbs from all kinds of creators in the industry. Uh, I was very gratified that I got a bunch of comments back from legends. I spoke with Jerry Robinson, he should rest in peace. He said to me, they would have liked this book, those two guys, the creators. He said, they used to talk in these kind of terms. They were trying to create a hero. And I got comments, positive comments from everybody. Steve Englehart, Chuck Dixon, like these big guys. And I felt great that they liked this version and they shared the values. And I, that made, gave me a sense that I was kind of right. But I also had a sense that I was right when the guys whose Batman versions I hate, who, produce, who created him, who portrayed him as being irreparably broken and he was angry and this was just some socially accepted way to vent his rage and he was just irreparably broken, when they said, that's not Batman. Some no one can go through that kind of stuff in life and suffer that kind of trauma and everything and come out and be any kind of normal. And I said, well, I have a mother who is a superheroine who survived worse and I have, you know, our simulated family of Holocaust survivors. I've known people like that. And they said, no, it's not possible. So the fact that they didn't like this portrayal, these values, <laughs> told me I was right. And the fact that the good guys who write Batman told me I was right and that Dennis O'Neill thought that was right. So that gave me a pretty good sense. But what the question originally had been like, was there sense of responsibility of producing Batman. I think the guys who produce Batman um, understand that they have a, an obligation to share those values. Charlie, um, you've, you've written a number of Batman stories in the, at some set in the continuity of the Brave and the Bold animated series from a few years ago, some set in the regular DCU, and, and so on. Do you have a favorite one? Do you have one? Oh, no. <laughs> See, I, that was easy. Um, <laughs> no, because there are aspects of all of them that I like. Um, you know, I love... I love the classic original Batman. I love Denny's detective Batman. I love Frank Miller's dark Batman. I love Adam West's goofy Batman. And, you know, and thank God, you know, by dint of the kinds of stuff that I do, I've gotten to write a little bit of a bunch of them, which is kind of nice. But... But, well, here. 
This is not a Batman story, it's a Superman story, but you know, you guys will live. Um, so here's the difference between writing stuff that's in continuity and writing stuff for kids' books that's out of continuity. So kids' books, yes, so continuity is if it affects all the other comics and it has to be matching up and all of that, right? So in the kids' books, I have been blessed with editors who, when I say things like, you know, I want to use Batmite as my, my, you know, big, not villain, but guest star. That's the imp who plagued Batman, who was his greatest fan back in the 50s. And I've had editors who say, okay, why don't you throw in Mr. Mix's Piddleck, Superman's imp too. And that's great. Now, when I work, you know, I did backups for, for Grant Morrison's run on, on Action Comics. And, um, Thank you. Uh, I'm not Grant, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. So, in one of those stories, I, I put, we were starting off with, it was actually the story that Neil deGrasse Tyson helped write and helped, and helped us find a real life place for Krypton. There is an actual star that we have identified as Krypton star. Um, but the first couple pages, we're going to have the Justice League. And so I said, all right. I'm going to try to make this as easy on myself as possible. I'm going to pick the most obscure Justice League villain I can possibly think of that nobody else could possibly be using, and then that way I'm not going to have a whole lot of editorial problems where they say, no, you can't do this, you can't do that, whatever. So I picked Zotar the Weapons Master. Zotar the Weapons Master appeared once in the second Justice League story, and I think may have shown up once or twice since then, but not more than that. And the note I got back was, Oh, sorry, Jeff Johns has plans for Zotar the Weapons Master. You can't use them. <laughs> and so I said, all right, well, if I can't even manage Zotar, then I'm just going to make it an alien invasion and make them generic aliens. And because one of my little pet peeves is I hate these alien names that are just like a bunch of consonants and apostrophes. So. I, I made the leader of the alien invasion, I, I named him GBRSSSH, gibberish. <laughs> and, and I got a note back saying, you know, from on high saying, you can't do that, you're not taking it seriously, whatever. So I said, okay, fine. <laughs> so I said, fine. So I had to change the name of the alien leader. So I made it N-R-S-S-S-H-K-T, apostrophe T, Narishkeit. And because none of the people on high were Jewish, it got into print. <laughs> so that's the difference between working in continuity and out of continuity. Oh, just, just um, sort of, I've been sitting here sort of trying to you know, come up with some Jewish Batman connection that nobody, you know, including me, has come up with because it's got, you know, and the things that, uh, that he covers his head, that's true. Batwoman. <laughs> what? Bat Batwoman's Jewish. Batwoman's Jewish, oh, that's true. But no, but the, the things I came up with about the creators, because I really think it, you know, like, like Simon and Kirby, like uh, Siegel and Schuster, these are guys from. Jewish milieus, whether or not their particular families were religious or observant. In Bob Kane's uh, ghost-written uh, autobiography called Batman and Me, written with and maybe by Tom Andre, but based on, you know, anecdotes told him by Bob Kane, there's, he tells a story of them doing like a, having to work over Christmas weekend on a deadline for a comic but the way the story is described, it's about his father bringing him roast chicken and, and uh, a matzo ball soup. It's the most Jewish Christmas story. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you have to read between the lines, but it's quite clear that his father is bringing him Shabbos dinner. And, and I mean, there, you didn't have to know that to tell the story, but that, and Tom Andre is not Jewish, the, the ghost, you know, the co-writer slash ghost writer. So there's something important to Cain. And then the other thing, you know, I got, you know, through 
um, you know, writing uh, that book and just uh, being interested in history, I got to know Jerry Robinson, who uh, created or co-created the Joker and and Robin, and and worked with um, with Kane and and Finger, and Jerry spent the last. 10 or 20 years of his life putting together exhibits and articles and really pointing out the uh, the Jewish element of comics in general. That was, you know, it wasn't just an exhibit of, oh, here's the history of comics, it's here's the Jewish history of comics to be shown in Jewish museums. So there's, uh, somehow I feel like that must have gotten into the Batman comics, you know, uh, you know as, as Carrie says, maybe just the idea of leading an ethical life and training your, you know, you don't, you, you know, the, the great democratic thing about being Spider-Man is you don't have to study a lot and you don't have to work out, you just have to get bitten by radioactive spider, you know, so that's one fantasy, but the Batman fantasy of perfecting yourself to be the best you can possibly be is, is certainly arguably a Jewish uh, angle on stuff. Well, what do you guys think? <laughs> no, seriously, I heard a couple people shouting out ideas over there. Danny poses a very good question, which is, is there an aspect of Batman's character that is quintessentially Jewish that we have not thought of, that we have not stumbled upon? Have you guys considered uh, the people that Batman fights, to put it better, like the opposite values <coughs> that he's actually fighting up against, compare that to maybe things that come into contact or clashing with uh, Judaism or Jewish ideas. Well, Not Batman himself, but the other ideals he's fighting against. Uh, my zany had the complexion of the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I mean, I, I think one of the things that is a little hard to talk about is that some of Batman's villains fall into like the anti-Semitic caricature oh. uh, model, you know. Can I, <laughs> okay. can I, uh, there was a Saturday Night Live short, one of the Robert Smigel animated shorts that actually commented on that yeah. years ago. I don't know if anyone saw it, anyone else on the panel, but it was, and it was, I don't even remember, I have such vague sketchy memories, so Robert Smigel, if you're watching this, please don't sue me, but, um, <laughs> but it was Batman's fighting the idea is like how anti-Semites could make a Batman cartoon and it's Batman fights Joker and he's like take that Jew and then he fights Penguin take that fat Jew and the idea <laughs> is like because they're both because you know Penguin's like rich and he's got a top hat and he's got you know very much dressed like a banker or something and, and then the Joker and they both got like big noses, especially the penguin, and what? And Joker's funny. And Joker's funny. He's a Jewish comedian. <laughs> we don't know the Joker's real origin story. As he, he frequently tells us, it's always a lie, so maybe he is Jewish. Um, but Sorry, you know. Sorry, the, the origin is very simple. He was a comedian in the Borscht Belt and somebody didn't tip him. <laughs> <laughs> knew it. Well, do you blame him then for going crazy? Um, but you know, it was it was a really sly commentary on the fact that like these these if you misappropriated this stuff, it could be turned into you know anti-Semitic propaganda. And I, I th thought that was really interesting. So did you? Th I mean, the guy who asked the question, do you have a, a thought on that? Opinion on that? Oh, I have no opinions. Okay. <laughs> Are you Jewish? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> uh, I always thought that his response to You have to identify who you are. Oh, I am John Wordover. Yay. 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 Writer John Wordover. Yeah, he's a John. Um, is that Batman responds to immediate need with immediate action. Um, and basically he's a hands person rather than a, a, a belief person. But he, you know, he sees um, Dick Grayson's family killed in front of him. And immediately, um, in the original story, it seems like it was only about five minutes after they died that he was adopting him. <laughs> or basically, as you say, I'm the goddamn Batman. I'm going to die. Perhaps I'll take him back to my giant mansion. That's a whole other idea. Point being that he responds with action to need rather than. Um, prayer or hope or anything, he just takes it, he just got to work with his own hands, to me, is a very Jewish thing. And I'm probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll respond to that. Yeah, go for it. I, uh, a few years, uh, 
number of years ago, I wrote a book. One of I've, I've published six books. One of them is a book for uh, police officers. It's based on uh, a course I created at the FBI Academy for uh, police officers dealing with uh, stress management, ethical decision making, etc. So uh, the FBI recruited me many years ago to create this program. They wanted to identify what they call tools for intentional spirituality. And they'd been through all kinds of uh, clergy uh, members, and they need to come up with something which was uh, spiritual but not religious because all that church state separation stuff they take it seriously and uh, people were all breaking the rules so they somehow they identified me and I produced this course and they've been using it now for the last uh, it's about 13-14 uh, years they still use it at Quantico I go down every once in a while and teach it so I produced a book where I distilled those ideas that people who aren't going to be eligible to go to the National Academy would still have access to it so I produced this book and I sent it around I wanted because I take it seriously also played by the rules it's supposed to be spiritual and not religious. So I created this, uh, it was in manuscript form, and I sent it out to my colleagues who are uh, police chaplains, um, either that I know, police chaplains I know there, or from my work doing outreach work on uh, at Duke University, etc., other theologians, and I said to them, tell me about this book, like what do you think? Is it spiritual? Can you identify the author as being Jewish? I don't want it to be, I want it to be for everybody. So I got comments back, they said, yeah, this is great, this is great, this is great. One theologian, one Protestant theologian responded to me, she said to me, you don't get out of the starting gate. She said from the very first word, it was clear to me that a Jew wrote this. I had sent her the manuscript with no, no, no cover. The cover doesn't identify me as a rabbi. I said to her, what do you mean? So she said to me, you don't understand. We subscribe. She said, we Christians subscribe. She said, you're not going to realize this, but let's be purists about it for a moment. She said, we subscribe to the doctrine of faith righteousness. She said, what Christianity believes and the way it jump, it's jumping off point from Judaism is that through your actions, you can do all those mitzvot. There's so many of them. You can do something and refine your character and elevate yourself and get to the next world based on your actions. It's not possible. It's based on a misunderstanding of a verse in Deuteronomy in Devarim. It says, or, or someone who doesn't, who know, who is not Yakim, Divrei Torah Zot. They don't. Someone who's cursed doesn't keep this word, the words of this Torah. So the early Christians, what they understood it to mean was, no one can keep this Torah. It's so darn hard, and it's hard, right? It's a, it's a lot of mitzvot. We, we spend our holy doing stuff, but it's glorious. It's glorious, and we can do it. But they said, no, you can't. So they threw that out and replaced it with faith righteousness. She said to me, you guys believe, you Jews believe in the doctrine of acts righteousness. So she said, here you wrote this book, talking to the police officer, saying to them, the nobility of what you do, you refine your character, you elevate yourself through your actions, which are meaningful every single day. She said, that is all premised on the doctrine of acts righteousness. She says, right from the very beginning, the premise is, Jew, is, is all Jewish. So I said to her, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. That renders me unable to do anything. She said, it's okay. This was a conversation she said to me, it's okay. She said, because, you know, the truth is, she says, in Western civilization, she said, you guys won. <laughs> so I was like, I wish someone had told me. I wish someone had told me. It doesn't feel so great to be winning. So she said to me, because Western civilization, she said, in the mindset, she said, certainly in the West, even the Christian mind, she said, they understand it. And so much of Christian theology has been reworked that there's an orientation of action being significant as well. She said, so of course, she says, I, in this woman speaking this, she said, I, in my work with the police officers, she said, I have no recourse, but, she said, I have no other option, I have to, I invoke that, she said, I just don't talk about it. She says, but de facto, we all believe in the doctrine of acts righteousness, she says, we just don't call it that, she says, but that's Jewish. So what you were saying before, like, you know, it's like, the, is there something fundamentally Jewish about Batman? You have someone, we talk, we look at Batman, like the character, like the incredibly infinite greatness of this person. That's a Jewish concept. We don't look at him as like, you know, essentially sinful or broken like that. Like we look like the greatness, the godless ha'adam, the greatness of the human being, created by Tzalem Elohim, and his actions matter. That's Judaism. That's Torah. That's what it is. Uh, I'm sorry, just one, one quick thing to add. You sure? Okay. Sorry, pass it on. I need to use the mic, despite my booming baritone. Um, building off what Rob Carey just said, Judaism is a fascinating religion because it is not top-down. Maybe this is, Danny, answer your question of a new aspect of the Batman, Jewish Batman, that we have not explored before. In most, if not all, other religions, the orders come from on high. There is a pope who creates doctrine and feeds it down the chain, 
to the people and the people follow it unquestioningly. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it really works. I'm just giving you a very exaggerated viewpoint to make a point. In Judaism, however, it's about the individual, as we've said, improving him or herself. This person has the power to study, to learn, to gather all of the knowledge, him or herself, and most importantly, to question the very fundamentals of everything that this person has been taught. That's Batman. Which is, which is, which is sort of a byproduct. Wow, I'm, this is, I'm just, bear with me because I'm coming up with this thought, so maybe, <laughs> but it's kind of, the destruction of the temple. It's kind of the end of, cent of Jewish centrality. And it's like, yeah, you're on your own now. Oh, that's brilliant. You too, Bruce, right. you too, Bruce Wayne. You're right. on your own now. When parents were killed. That was the destruction of the temple. Yeah. And he had to create a new way, a new altar, as it were, to, to take from the ashes and create a new life. Yeah, that's... And with Jews, whew. we were based, basing our entire religion on sacrifices in the temple, animal sacrifices in the temple, and then we had to create a Talmud, a Mishnah, a Talmud, a, a, a prayer service, the idea that we could have synagogues, that we don't have to have a temple, and that this religion could continue because fundamentally it's about believing in one God and building off of that. And Bruce Wayne too, his temple was destroyed, his parents, and he had to figure out, okay, how do I continue believing in the one God, which is essentially, in his case, the self, and build that self up, so whatever, you get the idea. Without one human intermediary who, who interprets the word. Right. At the end of prophecy where we have to take the law ourselves. Right, right. I'm what? sorry, I caught everybody off before and I want to turn it back over to you guys. Yes, question, somebody, you have, yes. Uh, let's change the subject a bit. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about Batman, uh, the person, um, and his interactions or subtle, under-the-table interactions with Judaism. But I'm really curious about what any of you have to say about the extended like, cast of Batman, his family, all these superheroes working in Gotham that have much more explicit connections to Judaism. Like Kate Kane, created by Greg Rucka, who is always been vocal about uh, the impact Judaism has had on his writing. Um, and the bombshells run right now, I don't know if people are following, but it's great, and it's this alternate Miriam universe. Marvel. What? With Miriam Marvel. Oh yeah, it's a Miriam Marvel, yeah. Um, it's great, it's uh, basically all, mostly Gotham-based, but others too, these superheroes who are now, um, so many of them suddenly Jewish in this alternate universe and taking place during World War II, and a lot of it in Germany, it's amazing. Um, Tell everyone what series that's running through. Uh, Bombshell? Yeah. Here, Bombshell, Marguerite Bennett. Yeah. Uh, it's basically, okay. it's, it's basically a series which reimagines all of the um, DC comics as primarily female, um, and even the ones who were not female, but it basically focuses on the female characters. It's Mara, it's Mary Marvel, it's... Um, Batwoman, Batgirls, um, which are based off of League of Her Own, in fact. Um, and it's set, or it started in World War II and is slowly moving forward time-wise. And it's basically um, all the female heroines you ever heard of fighting the Nazis. And suddenly most of them are Jewish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. Including like Zatanna. <laughs> right, because God knows you can get a great deal on fishnets down in the <laughs> Oh, there are a lot of Jew there are a lot of Jewish magicians out there in real life. So, Zatanna does her magic by, by reading the words from right here. That's right. <laughs> Somebody else in the back. Oh, oh. that was a question. Oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Like Never mind. Okay. About other, about not just Batman himself, but the world he's living in and all of, like, he's, people like to think of him as this, like, lone fighter, but he's got five different Robins in main continuity and three different Batgirls in main continuity, like, all of these different characters, some of them have these, that woman, explicit connections to Judaism. Right. I, I, um, I actually addressed that head on. That's what No Man's Land to me was about. I always said that in my stories, you had to have the story arc, but you also had to have the emotional arc, thank you. 
And the story arc is the plot. The emotional arc is what the character is experiencing. And I don't know if an emotional arc is really something that I coined or it exists out there. But nevertheless, that's the idea. And with No Man's Land, it was, okay, we're 10 years in continuity and in real time past Batman Year One. In Batman Year One, Bruce Wayne is fighting the battle alone. He eventually amasses a Jewish family that's all hanging out in the back cave and having Shabbos dinner together. <laughs> and when No Man's Land hits, and the story of No Man's Land is that uh, it, uh, so much catastrophe has hit Gotham City that the U.S. government says, forget it. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, we're just going to cut it off from civilization and let it rot in hell. You'll forgive me for those who are under 10. And, uh, and of course, a little aside, at the time people were saying this is so fantastical and then three years later they were calling us prophets because of Katrina. But nevertheless. Uh, so in the beginning of No Man's Land, Bruce Wayne says to himself, you know what my mistake was? My mistake was letting people into my heart. I need to strip away all this family and I need to do this myself. I need to be the lone Avenger once again. And over the course of the story, he begins to amass the Batman, you'll forgive me, family again. Yeah. And the reason why is because it's a very central Jewish message, which is ultimately your family is your foundation. And that's a very Jewish concept because many of the Jewish holidays, the, are, the core of them are with family. You think of the Passover Seder, for example, a little plug. Uh, I'm working on the Passover Haggadah graphic novel. So if you go to jewishcartoon.com slash Haggadah, you'll see that project and it's a natural outgrowth of my work on Batman No Man's Land. Because it hit me that if Batman needs family and if the Passover Seder surrounds, is, uh, revolves around the idea of family, then there must be a connection between the Passover Haggadah and comic books and I need to bring the two of them together. So how's that? I was just out of curiosity, in destroying Wayne Manor and the Batcave simultaneously in the Earthquake, Earthquake rather, weren't you destroying Batman's temple? Yes. Okay. <laughs> right on. Okay. Just want to uh, just want to point out if I may. Oh, one second. Hold where you are. Um, that notion of, of family, because the, that's not his family. It's a family he created, and that notion of creating a simulated family uh, is also a very Jewish one. When I was growing up, every. Uh, <laughs> Every holiday meal, we had all the Garina, all the survivors uh, who were our, word. everybody was uh, Tanta this, and this was our Fetter, and our, like, like, these were our aunts and uncles. They had all been through the war, they had lost everything, uh, and they had come together, they had cobbled together a family. Um, and we, it was a, you know, how else would somebody celebrate Rosh Hashanah or, uh, or a Seder or something without going around the room and having every person describe the closest they came to being discovered and killed by the Nazis? I mean, that's what dinner <laughs> conversation was like at our house. My father, he should rest in peace, he used to sit and he would turn to his two American sons. He turns to us, he'd say, these people are like larger than life. Like we would have been the first people killed. So that gave me a need, I, I have a decades long uh, need for therapy. Because <laughs> 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 that notion that we weak Americans would have been killed first. But I mean, that's what goes on in the back cave. Like these are people who have all suffered trauma and the family, you know, they don't have that family. But to create that family anew, that's what they did. And that's what we, that's what we do as Jews. And by the way, how do you say Batman in Yiddish? Batman? Mouse. Leader Mouse. Leader Mouse. Yeah. Leader Mouse. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, going back to that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Please. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add uh, something that I, I personally had on this theme that you're talking about. How um, you're talking about the corpus of the temple, you're talking about the World War II elements. And there's this theme in, in Judaism of darkness preceding light. You know, in the depths of the tribe of Egypt, and they were coming out of the redemption. So I think it's fascinating that Bruce Wayne, in his conception by Cain and Finger, come out of World War II, and they, they've seen the destruction of the Shoah, and that leads to this whole renaissance of creativity, and the founding of Eretz Israel again, and return to Eretz Israel, etc. And um, um, Why you're thinking of that, that's dynamite because Superman and Batman are yin and yang and they always have been. It, it goes yeah. that way. <laughs> <laughs> I attended that. <laughs> it's, it's said, so I don't remember it there, you can probably correct me, are you can correct me. It's something like above 34th Street is Metropolis and below 34th Street is Gotham City. 14th. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's been gentrified. So. <laughs> Uh, 
So what you're saying is brilliant because we spoke before about Superman's the immigrant experience, right? They didn't go through the darkness, they came to the light. Whereas Batman uh -huh. is the experience of having gone through the war and suffered to experience that darkness in order to try to still find a light. Okay, so now I'm going to take that a step further. I like that. <laughs> we'll just keep doing this on top of each other. It's good. Oh, go finish. We say the blessing every morning before the Shema. We say that Shem goes to war with Ray that he had created darkness first, and out of that he formed light that came out of darkness. So it's like it's a major theme of all that. I say this one that we have that principle that it's always darkness that gives way to light. So I noticed that. When there was a Dark Knight Rises movie massacre that happened in the theater, what was it? Yeah, yeah, four years ago. That was a midnight showing, it was a dark night, it was this terrible, horrible tragedy. It was the epitome of darkness. But it took place in a city called Aurora, which means light. And Or in Lush and Kodesh means light. There was something to that that was very profound. It also took place in Rosh Kodesh Av, which is like the start of the nine days, one of the darkest and tragic days of Jewish history. It also looks like a very good movie. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> do me a favor, Scott. You just meet at my table. I want to talk to you further. Okay. Thank you. So let me. Ju I'll just say one other thing on the darkness and light thing. So uh, several years back, I wrote a story about Batman when he's first starting out, and because thanks to retroactive continuity, Gotham City was before Batman the home of the original Green Lantern and uh, who had since long retired and whatever. And so I did this story about Batman starting out and his first encounter with another costume hero because Green Lantern comes. And Green Lantern is a guy who's, you know, the original Green Lantern, whose oath was that I'm going to shine my light over dark things because dark evil can't stand the Green Lantern. And so he was not real happy about this dark vigilante coming into his town. And so, you know, and, and that, also, you know, and of course they make friends and, you know, it's both, both co-created co by Bill Finger. Both yeah, co-created yeah. by Bill Finger, yeah. right. But, you know, and so that also, it's, you know, is, is I think an essential part of Batman because one of the things that I, I brought out in their, you know, snapping at each other was Batman says to Green Lantern, you know, fine, so you had your light and you're off fighting supervillains and aliens, but who's watching the back alleys, which is, of course, where his parents died. You know, and so Batman needed to go into the darkness in order to root out all of that stuff in the darkness that, you know, otherwise would just kind of retreat into the shadows when all the light is there. So, which is, again, you know, yin and yang to Superman. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. so we, can, can we just get this question quickly yeah. because he's been waiting so nicely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, me? Yeah, okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, just one thing. Uh, I, we were talking about um, anti possible alleged anti-Semitism in some of the characters and the villains. Remember when Batman Returns came out, yeah. there was a very controversial op-ed right. in the New York Times yeah. that basically alleged that the film was very anti-Semitic because not only were uh, the Penguin and Shrek kind of like Nazi-era stereotypes of Jews, but also there were Exodus motifs all across the movie. The penguins put in a basket when he's a baby, like Moses, then he comes after their firstborn at the end, I think. So, and there's a lot of Wagner music, you know, throughout the film. So that's just something interesting. I know the filmmakers defended it. Um, but also, just in terms of, on a, on a more positive note, Batman and Jewish values, there's a quote from the Talmud in Pirkei Avos that says, basically, and the rabbi can translate it exactly, but it's, in a place where there is no man, we mean man and a sort of good person, you know, a place where there is no man, try to be a man, you know, and I feel like that relates to Batman, not only literally in no man's land, you know, it's very literal, um, but also in, in general in Gotham City. I feel like Gotham City is this pretty terrible place, and he's the one person who's stepping up, you know, and, and kind of following uh, that dictum from well, right, and that's very much the Perkei Ovo line, right? That in a place where there are no men, be a man, and that's what he's doing. Which is which is which is tough for a guy who's been whose development is arrested at age eight when his parents were killed. Right. I mean, or, it's, it's or even be harder, a bat, as the case may be. Yeah. But, <laughs> But I, I would like to say that I, I don't think, I mean, I, I don't know what everyone else thinks about this, but I don't think personally that the Joker or the Penguin are anti-Semitic. I just meant that they could be used, you know what I mean, misappropriated by people. Well, when to, look, looked, at, looked, at, looked at it in an isolated way. They can, yeah. Calculate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
question it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, one, one last question, yes. Um, I just wanted to ask Make it if good. you guys can sing the Batman theme song. <laughs> can, can anybody in this room wait? wait. <laughs> wow. More to the point. That's, the, Dan that's the Danny Elfman yeah. one. Can anybody in this room not sing the Batman theme song? You know, <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a comedy sketch show done years ago by a bunch of Marvel staffers. And uh, Elliot Brown, if anybody remembers the, the handbook of the Marvel Universe, Elliot Brown dressed up in a tuxedo and proceeded to, um, you know, as, as a as a poet laureate of some kind. He came out with a sheaf of papers and ruffled them, and he proceeded to recite, Batman. Batman. <laughs> Batman. Doo-doo. 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 So that was, that, I think that was the, probably my favorite interpretation of that song. Can, can we all do it, but instead of singing Batman, sing Fleeter Mouse? <laughs> Never been done before. Ready? One, two, three. Na 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 na